0: Now please stand with me in respect and honor of the reading of God's word. This morning we'll be looking at Ephesians chapter five, verses one through fourteen. As I read there is Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of our God, beginning in verse one of chapter five. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness, must not even be named among you as it is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of this, the things, of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you.
1: Ephesians chapter 5, we'll be looking today at verses 11 through 14. Do you want Christ to shine on you? Do you want Christ to shine on you, Light is a wonderful gift. God tells us that when He created the heavens and the earth, at first, darkness was over the deep. We could not live in that darkness. And so, God said that He said, let there be light and there was light. And I don't know if you've realized it, but he created light before he created the sun and the moon and the stars. That's a few days later. In the new heavens and new earth, so we started out at the beginning of the Bible. Now let's go to near the end of the Bible. When God tells us about him creating new heavens and earth, we won't need the sun and the moon. Because the glory of God will be... Our light. And it even says there, you remember how we talked recently about Jesus, the Lamb of God, and that's his most common name in the Revelation, is the Lamb of God. Well, it says there toward the end that the Lamb of God will be our lamp. And it says there, just like we've been seeing in Ephesians 5, we will walk by its light, the the light of the lamp, which is Christ. Even now, we believers walk by His light. You see, God is light, 1 John 1.5. And because we are His children, we are called children of light. We have a new nature, which is light. And so we are called, and we saw in Ephesians 5.8, walk as children of light. In other words, walk in, uh, in accord with your new nature. Walk as children of light. But in that same passage, he warned us to not behave as those who are still in darkness. It's contrary to our new nature to do the deeds of darkness. And yet some Christians, sometimes we still do the deeds of darkness. That's why we need these warnings. And today we're going to see that Paul goes beyond warning us not to participate with them. He's going to give us another important task with it. And so our main point this morning is this. Expose the deeds of darkness instead of participating in them. I think I left the word of out there. So expose the deeds of darkness instead of participating in them. In today's passage, Paul explained why we must expose the deeds of darkness. He is going to explain what can happen when we do expose the deeds of darkness. And then he's going to give a message of hope to those once they've been exposed, if they... Embrace the gospel if they follow the nature of the light. They respond to that exposure of the light. There's a message of hope for them. Now, before we jump into the text, we need to answer a question. This will kind of make it a little simpler for us rather than me trying to answer it as we go along. I'll bring out some things as we go along, but we need to answer a question. Whose deeds are we supposed to expose? That some people believe that Paul is talking about Christians only here, and so we're to expose one another's deeds as we see them if they are sinful. And then others believe that he's only talking about unbelievers, and so we need to expose the sinful deeds of unbelievers hoping to lead them to Christ. So which is it? Well, I think he brings out both of those ideas in the passage. And so I think that it applies to both. He's talking about here, in we saw at the end of verse 6, he's talking about these sons of disobedience. Those are unbelievers. And so I think he has them in view. But he's giving this warning to children of light who, against their nature, sometimes participate in the deeds of darkness. And so I think it includes them too. So as we look at this section on walk in light, and just give you a real brief glimpse at the outline where we're at. Walk in light, verses 7 through 14 of chapter 5. And then we already looked at the first part. Walk in the distinctive fruit of the light, verses 7 through 10. That was last time. And then today we're looking at this. Expose the deeds of darkness instead of participating in them, verses 11 through 14. Expose the deeds of darkness instead of participating in them. So let's break that down. We're going to start with that, that, that twofold command. First, expose the deeds of darkness instead of participating in them. So let's back up to verse 7. I want to pick up a little bit of the context here about walking in light. Ephesians 5, verse 7. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness. In righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. In verse 11, and do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. What we have in this section, verses 7 through 14, on walking in light is really a two-part put-off, put-on pair. And so that's what I'm trying to show you on the slide there. You can see for the put-off where... The part we are to put off, verses 7 through 10, we saw, don't be one of them. Don't be partners with them. But then today, we add with that, where he begins, verse 11, with and, and don't do what they do. So, don't be what they are, don't be like them, and then don't do what they do. So, he's talking about their person and then their deeds, okay? So, that's the put off. Now, for the put on, we saw last time, he said, walk in the light. Walk as children of light, verses 7 through 10. And then now... We're looking at verses 11 through 14, expose them with the light, kind of boiling it down there. So expose them with the light. So you can see how there's the put off, put on, but he kind of doubles it in this passage to draw out some things that he wants to drive home. Paul had already told them not to be fellow partakers with the sons of disobedience. And now he says, don't be fellow participants, literally, in their deeds. And he's using both of these terms. Both of them have this idea of of fellow. He starts the word with the, the Greek preposition meaning with, you know, so along with them. So don't be partners with them. And then also don't be participants with them. Don't share in what they do. And he characterizes their deeds as unfruitful. That's an interesting term You might have expected him to say, well, their deeds are evil, which they are. Why did he say unfruitful? Well, the idea of unfruitful, it's that which is useless. Think about land that can't produce crops. Think about a tree that doesn't produce fruit when it's supposed to. Or... And more closer to home with what we're talking about today in Titus 3.14. Paul used it for believers who don't do good deeds to meet pressing needs. So, these are unfruitful believers, if you will. So, he's, he's calling them to not be like that. And so, by calling the deeds here in Ephesians 5 of the, the deeds of darkness unfruitful, he's saying that they are useless in other words they're devoid of think about the the traits we talked about the virtues last time the fruit of the light consists in what remember goodness and righteousness and truth and that term goodness for example they talked about this beneficial good that you do to for someone and he's saying that that doesn't happen what they do the the fruit that they have so he's not saying they don't bear fruit they do bear fruit they they perform deeds so that's their fruit. Because remember, we talked about our fruit is our deeds, but do, does our fruit, those deeds, do they measure up to goodness, righteousness, and truth, right? And so what he's saying here is, yeah, they're, they're, they do deeds, but those deeds are unfruitful. Why are they unfruitful? Why are they worthless? Why do they not do any beneficial good, well, it's because they're the deeds of darkness. That's, darkness is the source. That's where they come from. They don't come from the light. Whereas, you know, you think about the, um, the deeds that we do are, are deeds of light. They come out of the light. They come from our nature, our new nature as light. Well, these come out of the source, which is darkness. And so we, we need to ask ourselves, you know, if we're now light, why are we dabbling with these deeds of darkness. You know, sometimes we will do some things that we know we shouldn't do. why are we doing that if we're light? When it's inconsistent with our new nature. Now, the next phrase that he adds here, he says, and do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. And then these three words, but instead even, and it might kind of look funny. It's like why he's really piling words up there. You know, what's he trying? He's bringing out a contrast, but he's intensifying it by doing that. What he's saying is that, I told you right off the bat there, don't participate in their deeds, but I, I want us to go far beyond that. I want us to do more than that. Don't just not do what they do. There's more that you must do. Go, we must go so far as to expose something. We'll talk about what that is. You see, don't participate in their deeds, but expose walk in the light, and then use the light to expose. So it's like we are walking in light because our nature is light, but as we're doing it, we're shining the light on, uh, on those around us, and we're exposing something. Okay, so what needs to be exposed? Well, it's the deeds of darkness. It's not the people themselves, so much as it's their deeds. We're to expose their deeds. We're to expose the fact that their deeds are unfruitful. Or to expose the unfruitful character. To show their deeds for what they really are. Show people how unfruitful their deeds are. And that the source of their deeds is darkness. How do we expose their deeds then? Well, that word expose is used four ways in the New Testament. And, and this will help us, uh, especially one in particular, one of the ways. But let me go through those so you kind of get a flavor for what this idea is. So the first is, is just that of exposing. Evildoers hate the light because it exposes their deeds in John 3. And we're going to come back to that passage in a minute. So there's that idea of exposing. But there's also this idea of convicting of sin. So you think about in John 16, where Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit, that he would be sending, that he would convict of sin. And then Paul, in a couple of ways, he used it. First, most commonly, reproving or rebuking sin. Sin. That's how he used this word. So there could be a public rebuke, and he talks about that. He talks, And then there's private rebukes, but there's also rebuke that comes through the preaching of the word. And so as as the word is preached, is proclaimed, as we sit under it, we should be rebuked by it when, when that word is shining light on our soul. And you're like, ouch, <laughs> you know. It just, the, the, you know, the spotlight passed and it, it went across me and I felt it on my soul. And God's word penetrated my heart and, and showed me that there's an area I need to deal with. It reproves and rebukes. And then Paul also uses it of refuting error. And this is one of the roles of elders, Titus 1.9, is to refute error. So whenever Paul uses this word, it is primarily verbal. For rebuking and reproving, whether it's the word of God being preached or or however it's one-on-one, it's primarily verbal. And the point is, is that the light has a message that goes with it. You see, it's not just that we're shining light like a flashlight or something onto people, these deeds of darkness, their sin. But that there's a message that goes with it. And if you think about the way light is used in Scripture, that's very common. You go back to the Old Testament, you know, you know God's Word is the light, the lamp. Uh, Jesus Himself, who is the Word, He's also the light, the light of the world. Um, and so, the light has a message that goes with it. And so, when Paul uses this term, it's typically verbal. And so, as we're exposing, what we're doing is we're holding up their deeds to the light of, and I brought this back from last time, where you've got light and the boundaries to it are the things, the characteristics of, of our deeds and you know, our works and thoughts and actions, attitudes, all that. Okay, how do we test those? How do we measure those? We measure them according to what he gave us in verse 9. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. Okay, and that doesn't mean we don't use other things, but those are the ones that Paul calls out here. Okay, it's kind of an umbrella term, say okay, look at them. Okay, does this, this deed, and, and we need to do that ourselves. You know, as I, I think I used last time an example. Well, I, I did good to this person because I want them to like me. Okay, well, we hold that up to goodness, righteousness, and truth. You know, and and that would expose it. Say, no, my motive was wrong in that and so it would be more a deed of darkness than a deed of light so use the light to expose and to show what is it that fails the test you know, we need to do that with cuz there are times when we fool ourselves don't we you know we'll do good deeds and a lot of times our motives are wrong And are we do them half-heartedly, you know, and or are we like Ananias and Sapphira? You know, we we try to misrepresent it, make it look like it's, you know, it's it's better than it really is or something or that we're being more generous than, than we really are or something like that. We need to hold those up to the scrutiny of the light. And then we should reprove ourselves, others who are living sinfully and rebuke them as appropriate. That's, that's how Paul typically uses that. And that's what I think he's trying to get across to us here is the, the idea of reproving and rebuking. We must use God's word verbally because, I mean, it's verbal. Okay, it's words. Okay, they're written down, but then we, we read them, we preach them, we say them. We do this in preaching, teaching, discipleship, counseling, and in the, the one-to-one, one-another ministries that we have toward each other, just that the individual, brother-to-brother, sister-to-sister ministries that we have with each other. And if you see your brother or your sister, and, and there's some things like, that doesn't you know, measure up to the light. I need to speak up. Point out sin to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Call them to put off sin and to put on godliness. But for or unbelievers, point out their sin, but do it to show them their need of a Savior, okay? Point out to them what Paul has already said in Ephesians, that the wrath of God abides upon them because they are unbelievers and, and their deeds prove or show that they are unbelievers, okay? And then what he also said, that they won't inherit the kingdom of God. And that that's what he's calling us, I think, to do here. So second, he's going to explain now. It is disgraceful even to talk about those deeds. Look at verse 12. It's disgraceful to even talk about those deeds. So he says, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. So he's explaining here, okay, why are we exposing Evil deeds. Yes, Christians must not participate in them, but we shouldn't speak of them. To do that is disgraceful. And this word disgraceful, it means ugly, shameful, disgraceful. Pretty much what we have there in English. But how can we verbally expose them if Paul just said don't speak of them? You see, it seems like he's contradicting himself. Well, he can't be saying that we never say anything about them because, number one, he's told us to expose them. And number two, he's already done it himself. So I guess he's already broken his own command, right? When he says we shouldn't even speak of them because you go back earlier in chapter 5 even, and then back in chapter 4 and chapter 2, he talks about some of these evil deeds. He's not saying that you can't say anything about them. And what what he's saying here is that we have to be careful what we say. We don't go into the the detail of what they do in secret, okay? We don't try to, you know, go spy on them in secret and then call out every detail. It's not that. So think about, he used the term earlier in chapter 5 of uh, immorality, immoral, an immoral person. Um, if, If someone's behaving immorally, you can say that, you know. What you're doing, you know, somebody that's close to you and, and they, they're, they're sharing something and you say, well, but the Bible calls that immorality. You can say that. You, you don't go into all the details and you shouldn't go into all the details, right? So use biblical terms when possible and be as general as you can. You know, don't go into the specifics necessarily. I mean, we do this in counseling. So, you know, we, we tell people, okay, we need to help you with this problem. And, and sometimes the problem is of a nature that we, you know, I, I've said to people, it's like, okay, i tell you what, I'll ask you questions. If I need more information, I'll ask you for that. But I don't want you to go into the, the details of, especially if it has something to do with like immorality, um, because I don't need that. I don't need to hear that. And that's what Paul's talking about here. OK, so we be as, as uh, general as you can and only be as specific as as is it's needed. So give an example here using uh, somebody using filthy or obscene language. Um, you know, let's say that a brother in Christ, you know, or a sister in Christ, they, you know, they're, they're telling you a joke and it turns out to be a dirty joke. OK, they thought it was funny. And so they told you. OK, well, don't repeat the words they used. You just can say that, uh, let me take you over here to Ephesians 5, verse 4. Paul forbids filthiness there and crude jokes. That's all you have to say. And and if they say, well, maybe there's a situation where they're completely you know ignorant of this and they just never thought about it before, and like, what was wrong with that joke? And it's probably not going to happen. But generally, when they're telling it, they know that there's something wrong with it. Only be as specific as you have to. But typically, you don't have to. He said, well, That the Bible forbids filthiness and crude jokes. Just an example. Why should we expose sin? Number three, he tells us, here's why. Exposing those deeds can transform them into light. Exposing those deeds can transform them into light. And we're, let me read verse 13. And for some of you in your translations, we're going we're to go into verse 14 because... Part of what in some versions is in is the second half of verse thirteen is actually the first part of verse fourteen. So just follow with me, you'll see. Okay. Verse thirteen. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. So as he said, sinful deeds are, are done in secret, okay, typically. But when we expose them, when he says they can be, they will be light. He's saying that they could, they can be transformed. And, and there's a, a couple parts to this, the way it works. So they're first made visible. Uh, that's the first thing that has to happen by showing what their true nature is. So again, you know, if you have this this brother he told you a crude joke, and and so you you said okay. Ephesians 5.4 forbids that, Okay, um, that you exposed it. So you showed the true nature of it. God calls that sin. Uh, turn over, if you want, to uh, John 3, and we'll have that on the, the next slide, I think, if you don't want to turn there. But I want to show you some things um, here from John 3. Uh, Jesus is talking about this idea, uh, as well in a little different way, but it's helpful for us. So in John chapter three, remember, uh, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and, and Mary, you know, he throws Nicodemus a curve and he says, you know, you've got to be born again, you know, to enter the kingdom. And he's like, oh, okay, you <laughs> just blew my mind. How can that happen? And so they talk about that, but that idea of born again, and then remember the, probably the most famous verse, um, at least in our day, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, their idea of believing, you see, faith, believing in him should not perish, but have eternal life. OK, so that's the context of being born again, of, of believing. OK, those are the same thing. OK, born again is what he does to us. Believing is our response of faith. OK, now go down to verse 19. Jesus says, and this is the judgment that the light is come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. So you see, he's talking about the same kind of thing that we're talking about in Ephesians 5, right? The deeds of darkness. Then he explains, verse 20, for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. In other words, they they try to hide and they stay in in secret. They stay in the dark corners because they don't want their deeds to be exposed. Okay? But, what happens when their deeds are exposed? What happens when the Spirit of God works in this person to regenerate them? Remember, we talked in Ephesians 2 that regenerating work of the Holy Spirit where they're given new life. okay, They're born again. They're born anew. They're born from above. And they believe, verse 16, what happens to that person? Okay, verse 21. Contrast. But he who practices the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Or they came from uh, God and God worked in them. And so... <clears throat> Why it took us there is this: it helps us to see that there, the light seeks to expose the deeds of darkness for what they really are. Okay, and it provides the standard by which we measure those deeds by or any deed and see is it a deed of darkness or is it a deed of light we and we, so we test it the goodness righteousness and truth right and and so if it doesn't match up it doesn't measure up to that then it's a deed of darkness and so the light seeks to expose that and and so they first have to be made visible for they have to be what is made visible is their true nature Okay, that this is sin. This is what God... That's why I said "Let's." you take them to Ephesians 5, 4 and say, okay, you shouldn't tell dirty jokes, right? Because it forbids that there. It calls it what it is. It's sin. Now, second, what has to happen? When their real nature is seen, repentance can take place. And this verse throws some people because it kind of sounds like if you expose it, then they're going to be light. They're going to become light. Because it says they it is light, okay? And it kind of is like, well, okay, well, I know that's not true. It doesn't always happen. And okay, so he's not necessarily—it's—he's not saying that it's always going to be guaranteed that, that uh, when you shine the light on it, you call it sin, that they're going to be transformed. Because this idea of exposing there's more going on here. You see, it's not just that we say, okay, well, you telling that dirty joke is sin, Ephesians five four, okay. There's, there. then now is are they going to then open themselves up basically and say, okay Lord, and this happens if they have a new nature, if they've been given a new nature in regeneration, the work of the Holy Spirit in them, remember go back to John 3 and Ephesians 2, if those things happen to them, then they're going to respond in a way, they're going to say, okay Lord, you know like the psalmist, 139, right try me, examine me, test me Right, and that's what Jesus was talking about there in John three twenty one. There's the where they the, the light shining on them. Okay, that's sin, and e- either they want to run and get further into the darkness and hide, or if the Spirit of God is at work in them, then what happens is, is repentance, because now they have a new nature and they have the, they've received the gift of repentance and the gift of faith, and they respond to that. And they open themselves up. That's what Jesus talked about there in John 3.21. And if they truly repent and believe, their deeds can become light. Because now they have a new nature of light. Okay? So, that person, because they are now a believer in Jesus Christ, the light of the gospel has shined on them, the Holy Spirit has has Uh, renewed, given them new life, regenerated them. Now they're saying, okay, Lord, examine me. By faith they become children of light and their deeds will start to match the character of light. I think that's what he's talking about here. And that's if, if you're talking about an unbeliever. Remember I said it was both applies to both. That's an unbeliever. Now, what about if it's a believer? What if there's a believer? You know, it's you and you shine the light on yourself or you shine the light on your brother or sister in Christ and their sinful sinful deeds are exposed. Well, they should repent and then begin bearing the fruit of light. And so what's happened is now what was, you know, I, I did this deed, you know, this good deed. I did it because I wanted them to like me. Well, we're not going to tell them don't ever do good deeds again. We're going to say those need to be transformed. We're going to say what you need to do is do it for the right motive, with the right motive. Do it because you have agape love for them and love for God. You're doing it because God told you to minister to their needs. They have a need and you love them and you do it out of love for them, not what you are going to get out of it. And so their deeds are transformed in keeping with the new nature they now have. Again, John 3, right? Being born again, believing. The gospel transforms, and this goes back uh, to unbelievers in particular, if we're exposing, um, shining the light on, on their sin. The gospel transforms not by getting people to stop sinning. We have to be careful here. It's easy to kind of slip into that. Where, I mean, we would love... You know, think about it. If everybody in your neighborhood stopped sinning, it'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? You know, no loud music and, you know, and and, and all kinds of other things, right? If the world, if they stopped sinning, it'd be a much better place to live. But the gospel transforms not by getting people to stop sinning, but by showing their need of a Savior. Okay? So whenever... If there's someone that you know... That you know, let's say that it's somebody you work with, or a neighbor, or a family member, or something, and they come up to you and they say, "You know, the other day I just I just lost it, you know, and I was yelling and cussing, and and I I just lost it. I really feel bad about that." Well, you can say, "Well, hey, that's good that you feel bad about that because it's sin, you know." And here's what the Bible says about that. Okay, and now what what you're not going to do is just Help them stop sinning. Okay. You want to say that shows that you need a Savior. You need Jesus. You see, when when you realize that you've sinned, shining the light is shining the light of the gospel. And saying that the reason that you now recognize that that was wrong, and I'm showing you that the Bible calls it sin, is showing you that you need a Savior. Okay, that's what That's what he's getting at here, I think. Now, that doesn't mean that they're saved and they can just go on sinning. We are not saying that. I am not saying that. Why? Because if they're truly regenerate, they've got a new nature. They've got the Holy Spirit living within them, convicting, convicting, convicting. Remember, we talked about that just a minute ago you got brothers and sisters in Christ around you that are, in, that are shining that light on you, right? And they speak up. And I say, you yeah, know, you're still having a little bit of trouble with, you know, your language or, you know, yelling or, you know. God will continue to transform them because now they are a believer. Now they have a new nature. His Holy Spirit is there and He will work you see, just make sure we're not putting the cart before the horse. Sometimes we, we want to do that. We, we would love for everybody around us to stop sinning. That isn't our, that's not our motivation. Our motivation is to show them they need a Savior. And that Savior will work to make them stop sinning. Or work, you know, so that they're sinning less and less over time. Okay? Just like He's doing in you and me, right? Redemption should be our motive in exposing the sin of unbelievers. Redemption should be our motive in exposing their sin, and for believers, transformation, heart change, should be our motive. It's not just that. Well, you know, your sin's really annoying, and I'd like you to stop. Okay, well, that's true, but that shouldn't be your motive. Your motive should be you'd like to see them changed, so that they're more like Christ, and that should be our motive. And, you know, as always be careful as you are shining the light on people, whoever it is, believer or unbeliever, don't miss verse 14 because verse 14 is so easy. We, it's like this little part of a, a hymn or something, and, and it's like, oh, that's nice, right? Have you really thought about why it's there? It, it's important. It's hugely important. Because what it does is it gives hope. Verse 14, let me read that. And for some of you, this is the halfway point in verse 14. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So our fourth point is this, awake, arise, and be approved. Awake, arise, and be approved. Now we're not sure where Paul is quoting from, and the way he introduces it, it sounds like it's a quotation. Uh, we first think maybe it's the Old Testament and and it's not because there's nothing that it really matches up with, okay at least you know word for word Greek and uh, and even the Greek Old Testament. Many people think and, and this is probably I think the, the best assumption is that he's quoting from an early Christian hymn. So this is something just like we sing. You know our our hymns and spiritual songs here. It, it's like one that they that they sang a lot and they knew. Okay, and he's quoting from that, and that he, if it was that, it probably was based on Isaiah twenty six nineteen and Isaiah sixty verses one and two. There's some similarities, but there are different words there. And Paul, when he's quoting from the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament. He generally sticks with the same words. Sometimes it's exact. But at least he's using the same words. And there, the words are not the same. Okay? So he's probably not quoting that. He's quoting something else, which is probably a Christian hymn. But it's based That hymn was probably based on the Isaiah passages. What this does is it calls for repentance. And it gives encouragement. The encouragement of Christ's blessing. <clears throat> this verb awake is like our wake up. That's why they used it. Paul used it also in, verse, in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.6 to call believers to awaken from spiritual laziness. And that's very similar to what we're looking at here. Okay, a spiritual laziness or uh, apathy or, you know, tolerating sin in your life. Wake up, he says. If you're a believer and, and as you see, yeah, okay, I think that's a deed of darkness doesn't match up to the deeds of light, character of light. Then wake up and walk in the light, as He called you to. If you haven't trusted in Christ, if you're not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, then what He says here is arise. Arise from the dead. Do that without delay. Don't wait around. Well, you know, I'll get to it in a few years. When I get old, I'll get to it. Don't. This is aorist imperative. It's, it's without delay. He, he's trying to drive home how urgent it is. And so then he gives he gives hope. If you repent, believer or unbeliever, you repent, he says Christ will shine on you. And what does that mean? It means you'll have Christ's approval. Not approval in the sense of, okay, he likes me now that I did this. It's not that at all. This is the same thing he said at the, at the end of verse 10, where he said that, you be pleasing to the Lord, you see. Uh, that, that's all he's talking about here. So, if you repent of your sins, and if you believe in Jesus Christ, and, and those are gifts, those are not things that you do on your own. Those are gifts, biblically speaking. But then obedience is going to follow. And he's working that obedience in you but with the new nature, with the Holy Spirit, working and producing that obedience, you will be pleasing to the Lord. And so that's that's hope. You know, we don't shine the light of the gospel onto sinners and just say, you know, sorry, buddy. No, we shine the light and we say, you're in a heap of trouble. You know, the wrath of God abides on you. But, the love of God is available to those who repent and believe. And you you hold forth that hope to them. Christian, shine the light of God's Word on your life. And will you turn from any sin that's exposed? If you've not yet trusted in Christ, will you turn from a life in darkness and follow Christ in the light? As we come to the Lord's table, I want us to keep this, this thought. Do you welcome Jesus' light to shine on your life, believer, unbeliever? Do you welcome His light to shine on your life, to shine on you, To hold you up to that standard of goodness, righteousness, and truth? Do you welcome that? This is Jesus' light. Remember He said that um, at the end in in Revelation 21, we're going to walk by His light and the the Lamb will be our lamp. And even now, we walk as children of light, light in the Lord as we think about that beautiful portrayal of the light shining in a dark world it was that despicable cross where a man was murdered wrongly killed wrongly charged murdered and what to the world seemed like you know a despicable scene It was the light of the gospel shining forth. And it was exposing, illuminating. Because he sought, he, the light of the world, sought to redeem, to transform. Do you welcome his redemption? Do you welcome his transforming grace? The penetrating light of His gospel. Do you welcome that?